Hey guys, uh, where, where you been? Where have we been? What happened? Summertime. Yeah. We didn't want to be indoors podcasting, so we were just at the beach every day, all night. We've been basically living at the beach for the last three months. It's been a nightmare, really. Beach life is taken over, and we're sand people now. <laughs> but we've sand returned people. to society because fall is almost upon us. Yeah, I think so. We have our first cold weekend of September this weekend, the weekend we're recording this. Sure. I'm sleeping without a fan on now. That's pretty nice. Because it's a lot quieter. But uh, we sure missed a lot of podcasting time while we were all beach living. Mm-hmm. So you guys want to do like a quick like catch up over all the stuff we missed? Yeah! Okay. <laughs> well, just so everyone knows, we are Sean Lemmy. John Otney. And Gala Westwood. And this is... Oh, whatever. Where you been, it's guys? It's a mildly pleased production of something. <laughs> um, so I think when you tell the story of mildlypleased.com in the summer of 2017, the uh, the first chapter, the one everyone wants to read, is, is the month of July, which we dubbed Criterion Month. Remember that? Yeah, that was because Barnes & Noble every July does their big uh, 50% off Criterion sale on DVDs and Blu-rays. So we saw it as a great opportunity to watch all these movies that were like, oh, we'll get to those eventually, but finally actually <laughs> watch them and review them. And I think we did a great job. We made it through the whole month. I don't Without think... going to Barnes & Noble's and buying Blu-rays. <laughs> I did. What'd you buy? I bought Yee and I bought um, Shock Corridor, which I didn't review, but... I watched a Samuel Fuller movie, and I was like, I should see this other one. <laughs> I mean, it's tough that it so yet. many of them are on Filmstruck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a great app. Check it out. Ad. There you see, I, what if we did get sponsored by Filmstruck, you know? I feel like it'd be that hard. <laughs> you just have to, you know, make more podcasts. Check it out. It's fucking sweet. Yeah. So, I guess something we meant to do right after July, but I don't know, we just kind of fell behind, was we wanted to kind of do a recap of that and go through like our, our favorite movies we watched, at least favorite, kind of rank them, maybe something we would have changed in our approach, because, you know, we got, we were like primed for that. We had a draft and like, we were ready to go, but there's still, I like have a few regrets. Um, but I guess we could just jump right into that. I could go through my... Top 10, I guess, in backwards order. I don't think I need to say too much about any of them. You guys read all the reviews. You know where I stand. This is, this is for the fans. <laughs> all right. So going in backwards order, my number 10 movie was Tulane Blacktop. It kind of just felt like a bunch of hippies got together and just made something up on the fly. It didn't really feel like much of a movie. Mm-hmm. I didn't really like it. James Taylor's a terrible actor. Sorry, James <laughs> Taylor. Uh, Dennis Wilson, also a terrible actor. My number nine is actually Ahazard Balthazar, which I recognize is good, but super sad. It didn't really seem like I had like a plot. It was just like tragedy after tragedy with people and has a donkey and bad things happen to everyone. Bad time. Pretty movie. I liked it. Thief uh, is my eight. It was fine. It looked really pretty. I liked the, the music. It was Tangerine Dream. I like their, their music because it sounds like video game music. 
Um, and it was, yeah, it was fine. It just didn't really feel like a criterion. It's kind of a weird, weird uh, addition there. In the Mood for Love, which is a great movie, is my next one. But I just, I don't know. I, I liked it, but it was like, I watched it right at the end, and I was just like trying to get it in, trying to get in. I really didn't give it the time of day. So that's where that landed. Next is Close Up, which was interesting. I liked the, the, the gimmick, I guess you'd say, but like, I don't know. It, I didn't get like that much deeper into it. Um, next is The Wages of Fear, which I recognize as being a pretty good movie, but we watched Sorcerer earlier this year, and I just think Sorcerer is way better, and I couldn't help but keep comparing it to Sorcerer. Also has sweet video game music for Tangerine Dream. And Mario and Luigi. There's characters in it named Mario and, Mario and Luigi, yes. Except Luigi is the fat one with a hat and a mustache. They are so close on that one. Next is Umberto D. Uh, I love that kind of, um, what do you call that? That genre, post-realism or something, that Italian uh, scene where it's like you don't use um, professional actors. I think that's cool. It's like Bicycle Thieves. Um, but it was so sad, but I really like that one. My number three is Spirit of the Beehive uh, from Spain. It had lots of Frankenstein in it, which I was pretty into. It didn't really have much in the way of plot, but it was really pretty. And I thought it was a pretty, uh, like, I felt like a pretty accurate, like, representation of, like, a child growing up. Um, number two, actually, I was surprised with this, Paris, Texas. I was going into it expecting to be super bored, and, like, it was long. But I don't know. It was really, it was really entertaining. I really liked Harry Dean Stanton. I really liked Dean Stockwell. I thought they had a good dynamic. It was a lot less depressing than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be really sad for some reason. But it was more quirky and fun. And uh, just the whole look of it was fantastic. But my favorite movie for Criterion Month was The Face of Another. The uh, I guess it's kind of sci-fi Japanese movie about a guy who like doesn't have a face anymore and is looking for like a face like transplant. And I thought like they're just going to kind of like ignore like the face thing would be like the jumping off point but then it'd go into some weird like just couple drama or family drama but the whole movie is basically him talking about his face and obsessed <laughs> with his face and i thought that was really cool and it like the movie was like hella trippy and scary and it's stark black and white i loved it i have to check out more films from that director he's got some other pretty weird ones so that was my my top 10 um i guess if i have to go with what i would have changed i would have gone with less sad animal movies i only had two but they were pretty devastating, especially Ahazar Balthazar, which was really hard to, to get through. Also, I didn't have very many old movies. I don't have anything older than like the mid-50s. I don't know if the, the Criterion like has a good amount of films before that. I feel like most of their stuff is 50s. They're, I feel like they're starting to release more you know, Hollywood studio movies from the 40s now mm-hmm. like they just did like Philadelphia Story and His Girl Friday, you know, those kind of screwball comedies, but they're getting there. But like when we started the month, I feel like I didn't go to like eight days in or something. Yeah, I remember <laughs> I did like the first five days was all me, yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so more old movies. What worked for me is I think I did pretty good with picking a lot of different like countries and regions. Um, not many American films on my list. It was a lot of just all over globetrotting. So I felt like I got a culturally rich experience from all these different places. So successful, successful month. Uh, Colin, like to share your experience. Sure. Um, yeah, I watched a few of my movies like way in advanced, and wrote the reviews kind of way in advanced. And then some of them I was just doing along as the month 
trotted along. Um, I guess I'll just do mine in order. Number 10 was uh, One-Eyed Jacks, which is really the only movie I wasn't, like, super high on. Like, it sounded like John pretty much enjoyed all his movies, and so did I. I mean, Criterion does try to put out strictly good classic movies for the most part. Um, One-Eyed Jacks is one of those movies that... It's not like I regret watching it. Like, it's an interesting movie. It's shot in a just really striking way. I mean, a Western that, like, uses, like, water in a really cool way is, is not something I've really ever seen. It's just, like, the actual plot and the story line like there's a lot there but i don't feel like the movie really ever cashes in on it maybe because marlon brando who directed it was just getting too distracted by the, by the beautiful waves crashing <laughs> upon the beach is that true <laughs> yeah like he supposedly spent like hours trying to like get the tide at like the very right like i don't know depth or whatever so it looked good on camera so they'd just be like sitting around for hours Waiting to get those perfect sea shots, but they look good in uh, the whatever kind of technicolor they used on on that movie. Um, number nine was Love and Tora, a movie. I feel like I gave a pretty high rating, even though like it is really slow and boring and unsatisfying. But I can recognize that that's what it's going for, and like I don't know, maybe I have a an instinct to maybe rate something higher, even if I'm like. I respect this, even though I, I didn't like super enjoy watching it. I don't know. Um, number eight was Ali Furious the Soul. Just a nice, really interesting sort of small character-driven drama that's specific to its time and place. And But I don't know. I, I guess it kind of feels like I should be getting a bigger picture of Rainier Werner Fassbender's work. Like... I don't. I don't feel like it's like the defining movie of his career or whatever. It's just one piece of the puzzle, but it was a good piece of a puzzle. <laughs> uh, so number seven was Safety Last, uh, Harold Lloyd comedy. Just a fucking load of fun. <laughs> just super funny. <laughs> it's just. Yeah, I know. It's hard I think to say. anyone's ever said that about it. About this movie's a, movie. a fucking load of fun. <laughs> it is. It's one of those Gene Shallows. Like, if you can watch a movie from what, 1923 or something, wow. and it like still made me laugh consistently because the gags are just super, super inventive and you know, super visual in the way that a lot of silent comedies are. Um, yeah. I, I definitely watched some more Harold Lloyd. Number six was Yee Yee, uh, the final film by Taiwanese filmmaker Edward Yang. Uh, just a really, I don't know, just a, a movie that's very big in scope, but also small because it's just about this one family. Uh, I don't know. It felt more like it should have been like a TV miniseries or something, maybe like Ingmar Bergman's Scenes from a Marriage. Just because it's really long, but it's it doesn't have like an overarching plot, but it's no, it's, it's really good. Um, number five, this movie. I was I wasn't sure how to rate when I reviewed it. I wasn't sure where to put it on the list because I really enjoyed it, even though it's like a movie that exists beyond the realm of taste. Is <laughs> uh, beyond the Valley of the Dolls, which is just is a lot of fun, even though I felt kind of gross having 
a lot of fun watching it because it's it's weird it exists kind of in a genre that doesn't exist anymore it you know the the nudies i guess you'd call them where it's not like quite pornography it has like a storyline and stuff but it's like so obsessed with tits and violence and just like shock and and i kind of makes me want to see more of john waters movies because i've only seen one of his and they're kind of like that where it's just like so over the top that like you can't help but laugh at it just because it's so ridiculous (laughs) eating dog shit eating dog shit uh number four uh, it was The Naked Kiss, uh, which I was kind of alluding to earlier. Samuel Fuller movie made in 1964, kind of about the dark underbelly of suburban America at the time. Uh, yeah, I think in my review I hinted at it. That has a really shocking twist at the end that I didn't see coming. And uh, the way they use it without like any overt sex or violence or anything is is pretty great, but also kind of, you know the last time period in which you could do that before sex and violence uh, were kind of the norm in in Hollywood filmmaking. Uh, Number three, Three Colors Red. I watched all three of those movies with Sean. I enjoyed all of them. Uh, Red, just another really subtle character-driven movie, but has so much going on in it visually, and I just, uh, I don't know. I'd honestly watch any of those (laughs) Three Colors movies again, because they were so short, but also so, I don't know, so sensuous and leaves you with so much to sort of chew on. Uh, Number two, The Passion of Joan of Arc, just uh, another great piece of visual filmmaking. Uh, Yeah, Maria Falconetti in the the title performance is just uh, staggering. (laughs) piece of acting as she she cries so much (laughs) but you feel her pain and it's just yeah it's just a great piece of early cinema and then tokyo story is my number one uh just one of the best movies i've ever seen basically it's uh just a small character driven story doesn't do too much but it lets you in on these people's lives lets you see the difference in generations and reflects on getting older and modernization and all these different things just through the snapshot of, of looking at this one family's life. It's, uh, it's great. That's my list. I don't really have any regrets, <laughs> I don't think. I feel like I had a nice mix of serious movies and sort of sillier ones, too. I don't know. I had a good time. All right, my turn. My number 10 was uh, Solaris because <laughs> it's so long. <laughs> I feel like the opening credits alone are like 10 minutes and it's just white names on black. It's um, like, just beyond all that though, it does have a lot of beautiful photography in it and like, I thought it was just going to be like so junky that they wouldn't even have like a convincing sci-fi set or something like that. <laughs> but no, it's it's like it's all on a space station and it's pretty good. Um, and it, it definitely has a message that is different from the types of messages you get out of a lot of movies. Um, so you should probably see Solaris at some point, but it might take you a while. 
another one that I just like need to check off my list was my number nine, which is eight and a half. You know, which if you round it up is the ninth spot. <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, I just I didn't like the main character, and that made the movie hard for me to watch. Um, I see why other people really relate to it, but I I didn't. And that's also true of my number eight, which is the three colors blue. Uh, couldn't put that numbered movie at three because I just, it's such a cynical and bleak perspective on humanity. Uh, that's not my jam. What's more my jam is Tampopo, my number seven, uh, which is just all obsessed with humanity's relationship with food, uh, told through a bunch of vignettes as well as one overarching western inspired story about a group opening a ramen shop in Tokyo um, not set in Tokyo but it might sound like it from the title is my number six La Samurai um, which is just a movie about a cool guy being cool being smarter than everybody and just cools his way to, all the way through the end of the movie uh, <laughs> the best summary I've ever heard of the movie <laughs> I take it it was it was fairly cool. It sounds like it's very it. cool. Uh, you know, I talk about it in my review. I love seeing like '60s heist movies like this and another one on my list where they have like fancy technological gadgets at the time. Yeah. But it's like it's so quaint. Like there's a scene in in La Samurai where they're like, "Let's spy on him. We've got this tiny radio. We'll go nail it into the wall behind his curtains. <laughs> then we'll be able to listen in." It's it's great. Um, Number five for me was All That Jazz, which I was worried I wouldn't like after not really liking Eight and a Half, but uh, that's a musical unlike any sort of musical I've ever seen before, uh, and a really great Roy Scheider performance, um, so I had a lot of fun with that. Uh, number four was My Dinner with Andre, which you know filled me with existential dread because I'm more Wally than I am Andre, um, but it was a extremely... like. I feel like after watching it, we had that conversation of me taking the Andre side and you taking the Wally side. It's, it's just the He just wants to stay at home with his electric blanket. Like, I get it, man. But, um, yeah, for a movie that sounds like the most boring thing you could possibly watch, it's so captivating. And, it like, it is a film, you know? It's not just a conversation. Yeah, and I, I was amazed by how... I guess just it's a movie that's very specific to its time sort of in the early 80s but it's also like oh no they're all going through the same shit we're all going through now <laughs> like the the electric blanket conversation you could just apply to the internet or whatever technological comforts we have now it's just things don't change as much as you think <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, my number three was Jules and Jim um, another really good World War One movie, which I ended up seeing a bunch of uh, this summer. Um, yeah, you guys were like, that's not even the one to watch, so I'll, I'll get into more of that, I think, going forward. Also, a very shocking ending to go with kind of the things you were saying, Colin. Uh, didn't see that coming at all. <laughs> that kind of veered off in a way I didn't expect. Uh, number two is Rafifi. I just keep like talking about this movie. Like, <laughs> I, I think it's it's just one that's gonna stick with me. Um, kind of the 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 inventor of the the current 
heist movie, even though it's 60 years ago and they made this. Uh, but my number one with Past of Glory, the Stanley Kubrick film, because um, it's fucking devastating uh, <laughs> and such a amazing condemnation of um, not just war, but like all the heroic aspects of war that people pretend are good, um, which it's fitting to see that like as our president is trying to ramp up the wars in the Middle East again and like, saber rattling with North Korea. Um, it's all bullshit and it sucks and people shouldn't <laughs> be killing people. Uh, what I would have changed, I guess maybe less French stuff. <laughs> like my list included a Polish director making a movie in France and an American director <laughs> making a movie in France. It was very French. Though so you did have a French director directing a movie in America. <laughs> so I did that. Yeah. Still a lot of friends sort of balanced there. out. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I've got a pretty similar... I, I'm, I know you guys are being what, way more experimental than I am with your picks, but <laughs> I just like the opportunity to catch up with these classics. So I don't think I'm really going to change my approach uh, when we do the next one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and who knows when that will be. I know they do a uh, November sale, but also we're doing uh, this October Criterion Horror Edition, so... <laughs> We'll probably just do that. I guess we'll do this again next year. But yeah, I look forward to it. Yeah, check out our, our, our October one. Get to further explore Samuel Fuller. Also get to dive into a lot of Cronenberg and De Palma. So that'll be fun. So yay. So I guess let's get on to the rest of our lists. Our many, many lists. So, yeah, it's just the rest of stuff we've been doing this summer. Yeah, just stuff we've enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Because we, have, we haven't written about much. <laughs> I haven't written about like anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you want to start with video games? Sure. It's usually the fastest one. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, my latest obsession is Destiny 2. Um, I was a huge Destiny apologist who became a <laughs> like unironic fan of Destiny by the time all the expansion packs had come out. Um, and so now that the second one has been released, I totally caved in. Uh, I was going to wait for the PC version, but instead I've already put probably like 10 hours into it on PlayStation 4. Uh, and it seems to be more of what made Destiny 1 good with less of the bullshit. Like, for example, they've added the ability to look at maps and see where you are and where things are happening in the world, which... Is a lot better than the old days where I'd have to bring my laptop with me when I was playing Destiny so I could look stuff up online and map it out in my head. Uh, another game that I've been playing a lot of this year but kind of have to apologize for is Fire Emblem Heroes. Um, it's a manipulative gachapon game where um, basically what you're trying to do is have a team of the best characters and um, you earn coins to try to unlock them, but what the game really wants you to do is spend money to try to unlock them, and it's all random chance, so even when you spend money, you might still just get shit. Um, which is gross. That's like gambling. Um, that's like exactly gambling. But, <laughs> like, you don't have to have the best characters. You just gotta get out of that mindset. You don't have to have the best characters to succeed in this game. 
Um, and it's a very simple, you know, strategy, you know, Final Fantasy Tactics style game. If you've never played the Fire Emblem games, it's it's exactly like Fire Emblem, except your characters don't die and there's no romance, which are kind of like the two defining aspects of the modern Fire Emblem games. So it's a bit of a throwback, but mostly it's just it's on my phone. It's easy to play uh, in all sorts of situations, like if I'm on public transit or bored at work or just lying in bed. Uh, or in lying in bed in a trailer, you know it's been <laughs> it's been a reliable friend for me. Um, Makes it sound like you live in a trailer sometimes, but not all the time. That's true. <laughs> the summer, when you're doing your special stuff. Yeah. Uh, another one on my list: Final Fantasy XIV Stormblood. It's the new expansion pack for the Final Fantasy. MORPG Final Fantasy XIV. Um, I got into it this year because there was a great web documentary that came out about the crazy story about Final Fantasy XIV, which was it was released, people hated it, they kept the game going while in the background they basically made another game, and at a certain point they replaced that game with the new game. Um, And they did all this stuff to like reward the players who are loyal. It's a hell of a story. Um, The game's pretty cool too. Uh, I like that it's an MORPG where you can just like make one character and switch between all the classes um, instead of having to make a bunch of different characters, which is always what I do. Because the thing about MORPGs is I always feel insecure that I've chosen the wrong character class. Uh, it's such an important choice. Uh, also, it's just like a lot of cat people and stuff. Like if you're into beautiful Final Fantasy characters, the over-the-top anime hair and stuff, it's a pretty good game for that. Um, another another game I have to apologize. I basically have to apologize for all the games on my this list. Game's like five years old. Uh, is Hearthstone? Uh, so Hearthstone comes out with three expansion packs every year. It's not a new game. And what they decided to change this year was it used to be they would come out with um, like an. Sometimes they would just come out with there's a bunch of new cards that you can buy, but other times they come out with like there's a new single player game you can play. And get the cards and get, you get all the cards and like took that away and now it's you just have to try to buy the cards so it is more like gambling now because you just buy packs of cards um, and it's making the barrier to entry extremely high for people that haven't been playing Hearthstone but if you have like me been playing for like three years um, you've got enough coins to like kind of stay competitive and you've got enough cards that you can build roughly okay decks and the stuff they're putting out now uh, tends to be really good. It's changing what they call the metagame uh, in, in good ways, um, for the most part. Uh, we're in kind of a weird, dark moment right now, but they've already announced a patch that's going to help address that. Um, so I, I still, I never thought I would like video game card games, and I've tried other ones, and I don't really like them, so there's something pretty magical about hearthstone that's good definitely the nerdiest sounding of all these games (laughs) i put one game in here i put sonic mania which came out in august um i don't know a lot about it as far as i know and i I could be wrong on this there was a a guy who made like sonic fan games and uh like fan art and then they let him make a sonic game i'm not sure i guess sega and uh he made this game and it's probably the best like traditional sonic game i've ever played it opens up with some familiar levels from previous games, but then it slowly builds on 
those with uh, with tweaks and, and new levels. There's this fantastic one that's movie themed that has like there's a part where you're a popcorn maker and there's film strips going everywhere. The boss battles are, are fun. I feel like they're the the right difficulty. I'm actually kind of stuck like where I'm at right now, and that's like a new thing for me with Sonic. I usually cruise right to the end. And there's just like like just little tweaks that are fun. Like oh, you get to drive a vehicle for this this fight. That's new. Um, but you know they didn't stray too far from the original formula. And the music is so good. I love it. Uh, I wish it came out when I was twelve. What are you playing this on? On the Switch. It's okay. probably out for everything. Right? Oh, it's out for everything. Yeah. Everything. I feel like everything comes out for everything now. <laughs> Mostly PS4. I don't know why you don't Xbox now. What comes out just for Xbox? Not much. It's been rough. Forza games, I guess. I feel like way into Forza. <laughs> I'm not, but I'm glad that... You know, there's, you know, there's like Gears of War and Halo. Okay. Every once in a while. Okay, that's good. Crackdown's coming out sometime. Yeah, it's been rough. <laughs> yeah, there's, the Switch has been pretty good so far. Um, I liked you know, Mario Kart and Splatoon and ARMS. Uh, and of course there's Legend of Zelda, which I finally beat this summer. Even though it turns out I should have beat it in the spring because I was at the end already. Um, so it's been a fun console to have. Brought that with me on a few trips. I look forward to Mario. It's going to blow everyone away. Me and Sean couldn't even play it at PAX. It was insane. The line would fill up in like five seconds. Yep. We'd like run over there like, it's full! <laughs> Got here! <laughs> but we'll get to play it soon. Let's move on to music. So many tunes. A lot of tunes. Couldn't follow all these tunes. Tell me about these tunes. <laughs> okay, well the first one on the list is Hug of Thunder by The Broken Social Scene. Uh, which is a sort of super group. I think it is a super group, but they just don't like being called that. Um, Why would you want to be called a super group? It's so cool. Because you're like, I've fucking done shit outside of this shit. Word. They're humble. (laughs) Yeah. They haven't done an album since, um, what, 2009, 8? I think it was 2010. 2010, okay. That's the year we saw them at uh, Sasquatch. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah, we saw them. Wow. The tour with their last album. It feels so long ago. Yeah, it makes me feel super old. <laughs> but so should they. Um, and this, this album isn't as feisty as that one was. I mean, there's less feist on it. But also, it puts up less of a fight. Like, both definitions. Why is feist so hard to get? Is she really still that popular? With me, she is. <laughs> I mean, she she came out with an album this she, year. She's come out with Probably. two albums since that last Broken Social Scene album, so mm-hmm. she's pretty productive. Um, but I actually like Hug of Thunder a lot more than the latest Feist album, which is why that's the one on this list. I think it's pretty cool. Keeping it short with music. What do yeah. you think about Fleet Fox's Crack Up? Oh, this is the first album in a long time. Was it was like nine years or something, eight years, some ridiculous <sighs> number like that. So I think there's probably a lot of hype. And I think it probably let a lot of people down, actually. It got pretty good reviews, but it's, like, it's pretty weird. Like, all the songs are, like, ten minutes long, and they're, like, three songs in one. So I found it sort of difficult to get into a rhythm with a lot of these songs. But there's just so many great moments that are, like, this is the most beautiful thing I ever heard. Like, there's a song on here, Fool's Errand, which is, like, one of my favorite Flea Foxes songs of all time now. It's so beautiful. 
yeah, it's just like a lot of moments. I don't know that they've really changed anything in their approach to their songs, aside from the fact that it's like, let's like throw them all together on one track. Let's put four songs on one track and see. <laughs> and sometimes it works out pretty, pretty in a pretty interesting way. And sometimes it's just overwhelming. So it's one that I feel like I'm gonna have to keep listening to. I still don't feel like I have a good grasp on on what it is. Wow. And all the songs are impossible to say too. And I was like, it's <laughs> like gibberish. Has, too. has the band changed at all? Is it all the same members? Uh, I mean, Since it's when. Uh... <laughs> I don't think it does. Yeah. They've like switched drummers a couple times. Yeah, they used I, to have Father John Misty. They used to have Father John Misty. I think it's still Robin Pecknell, though, and Skyler. It's just so all the same. <laughs> They're the core of the band. I think everyone else, I think there's been some, yeah, there's been some like moving pieces there, but I think the important thing is getting Robin Pecknell back because he like left to go to school or something. <laughs> it seems like it took him a long time with that. <laughs> Is he having trouble graduating? Just too busy partying over there? I don't know. But I'm glad they're back. And I like it, and the album cover is a pretty painting. I wanted them back, just like I wanted back. Oh. I'm... They put an album called Something to Tell You. First heard songs off that when they were on SNL, and they had audio issues, so the songs yeah. didn't sound good on SNL. But Well, for one song. I think the other songs had it all right. Okay. Uh, all I remember is that first one. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, they're really singing a lot, but you can't hear their instruments. Yeah. That was weird. Um, but it turned out something to tell you was pretty sweet. Right, Colin? Yeah, I like it. I think my expectations were way too high for this album. <laughs> like, I was like, looking forward to this so much. And it's like pretty good. It's not as good as the first album, but it's hard to make an album like that again <laughs> that's good in that way. And they did kind of veer left and make a more sort of, I don't know, slower album. Not as many huge, catchy pop hits that just jump out at you. But I mean, Want You Back is so fucking good. <laughs> There's some other really good songs on it, too. Give you just a little of your love or whatever that song yeah. Calm. That's good. Anytime too. where they say a lot of words really fast. Yeah, that's that's my shit. <laughs> Just like da, 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 da. catchy shit. Um, LCD sound system came out with an album like last week. I don't know if you've had time to digest it. I listen to it quite a bit. I guess it just feels like I haven't spent enough time with it because it's an LCD sound system record, so it's pretty long, but. Seems good. I don't know if I like it as much as the first three, but it's another very solid effort. Yeah. Like, it's the first one that feels like, hey, we're like an older band now. And hmm. not- I feel like they've always felt like that to me. Because <laughs> his first album came out when he's like 35. So he's always... I mean, this first single was Losing My Edge, which is just about... How there's all these cool kids that he's not as cool as anymore. Uh, I don't mean that they they weren't aware that they're an older band. Yeah, I'm saying like it didn't feel like it to me Mm -hmm. until now. Um, But yeah, I'm way into American Dream. It's basically been all I've been listening to the past couple weeks, which is annoying because another one on our list came out recently, but we can't get to that yet because we follow the alphabet on this podcast. Nope. So we have to talk about Melodrama by Lord. Yeah. Lord was an artist I wasn't sure if I needed to care about, but then this album got really good reviews, and I was like, I guess I should check this out. And it is really good. It's a another very poppy album, but, like, you know, it's, it's a lot more sort of introverted and kind of dark and moody, but 
uh, yeah, songs are really good. I like to, I don't know, I like to go j- jogging listening to this album. Gets me pumped up, but also kind of sad at the same time. <laughs> pumped up and crying? Yeah, crying. S- sweating out those tears. Sweating those tears. <laughs> uh, all right, next album, I was just listening to the to In the Car yesterday. Getting kind of pumped up. Villains by Queens of the Stone Age. My time with Queens of the Stone Age has been like, it's been a more recent development because I saw them at Sasquatch a couple of years ago and they're promoting like Clockwork. And I was like, wow, I got to check out that album. And I like that album a lot. I think I might even like this one better, though I don't think most people really like care about this one. I think they're like, oh, it's okay. <laughs> but I feel like thematically it really ties together. It really feels like like it's spooky haunted house music. Like it seems like in all the artwork, they're like, here's a bunch of devils and Frankensteins and stuff. And I'm pretty about that. There's a song called Head Like a Haunted House, which I feel like could be a Misfits song or something. If the Misfits like knew how to play their instruments. But like, yeah, it's just it's just super rocking. It's atmospheric. Really the only thing is like all these songs are like, this is a little long. This could be a little shorter. It's like is this it? is like a fast punk rocker. It's six minutes long. It's not a long album, but there's me. only nine tracks on it. Yeah. And like only one song is shorter than four minutes i know today mm-hmm. like four minutes is not considered like a long song but there's a lot of like six minute songs in here but yeah. i just love like they're all about like devils and they're just all about rock and roll <laughs> there's yeah. not enough bands they're just like we play fucking hard rock and we rock deal with it no guest musicians on this one either oh, yeah just, just the i mean if there ever really were a band it seems like it's always josh homie and it's yeah. just some dudes some dudes but he's still fucking rocking it oh yeah because he's got the devil on his side <laughs> does our next album have the devil on I his think side? so this is another really rocking album uh, Sheerbag put out their first album Need to Feel Your Love which they put out a few EPs which I think they even released as like a compilation album earlier this year and I was kind of skeptical but also really looking forward to it since i like those early eps but i wasn't sure like if they could do anything more than their sort of clear skill set which is like really catchy songs they get compared to like thin lizzy a lot but like if thin lizzy was like a punk band kind of so it's just you know kind of a, a mixture of of classic rock and punk rock which uh i love love that shit so um yeah just 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 a really good straightforward rock album that's you know kind of tough but also the songs are super catchy too uh next album not that tough (laughs) but pretty good the war on drugs a deeper understanding yeah man war on drugs is like really good like did you know that I did. Because, like, when I was growing up, everyone was like, oh, the war on drugs is so bad. It's so racist. But it's like, no. Actually, the war on drugs is, like, sweet. It doesn't seem racist at all. Right? Racist? What? What are we talking about? Sean's talking about the actual war on drugs that happens in America. Oh. This is, like, really solid. Bit. I feel like every time you bring up this band, you have to make a, a point that their name is the war on drugs. Like, literally, the first time I showed you a song by them, you're like, I would never name a band The War on Drugs because it would seem like they're setting themselves up to be a failure. That's pretty good. I'm pretty funny. <laughs> you are pretty funny. I'll give you that. But you need to get past it, Sean, just to the music, man. It's good stuff. 
Yeah, well, okay, they're like a, um, I don't know, like a soundscapey band. Super soundscapey. Like, a lot of like, just like driving drums and guitars exploding off into space. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if this is as good as their last album was, but their last album was like one of the best albums of the decade, so um, that's a hard act to follow. And I'm still really digging this, except I'm frustrated because I keep having to switch what album I'm listening to because like LCD Sound System also just came out, and uh, now there's that new national National. album. Yeah, I keep. that's exactly how I feel about this album because I bought it on vinyl, so I'm just like, I'm only going to listen to this at home. And there are all these other albums that keep piling up. But I like it too, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's a weird one because it's not really different from the last album at all. It's kind of just the same thing, but it's like the War on Drugs does such a specific thing that no one else does as well as they do that it doesn't really need to be that much different, you know? Yeah, I think it's pretty great. Another album that I think is pretty great, and probably the last one we're going to talk about on this podcast, which is only focused on stuff that came out between June and August, uh, is is Out in the Storm by Waxahachie, who I think is there, she's she's getting there, man. She's really getting there. I feel like every album she's done has been better than the last. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is like her rock album, really. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like her early stuff is more sort of acoustic and intimate but this is uh it's like a full-on rock band type album and it's it's yeah it's powerful but it's also like she's just a great songwriter and lyricist and uh i hope she'll keep doing interesting stuff for a while katie crutchfield i feel like is her name (laughs) i remember when i started writing my review i kept calling her allison crutchfield because that's her sister who also does music whoa yeah is she in a band I think she was in a band called Swearin, and then she's just done solo stuff recently. But I've never really listened to her as much. Seems seems decent. Anyways, let's talk about TV. I Finally, didn't, I didn't watch as much TV. Now we can have some real summer. conversations. Uh, so I think everything on this list people put on because they think it's good except for the first thing on this list, but I just need to talk about it because it's so important to me, um, which was Netflix's Marvel's The Defenders, which was this huge, you know, they tried to do what they did with the Avengers in theaters, but as TV shows on Netflix, they did Daredevil, they did Jessica Jones, they did a second season of Daredevil with The Punisher, they did Luke Cage, and then this year, they fucking fell apart. They put out Iron Fist, which is racist garbage. And then they put out <laughs> The Defenders, which is like the same people as Iron Fist trying their best to ruin the characters that I like from those other shows. Uh, and somewhat succeeding uh, and somewhat failing. Like, um, they bring in Sigourney Weaver as the villain, and she's so good as like this terribly written character. <laughs> that has a really disappointing arc and um charlie cox the guy who plays daredevil is so good as daredevil and like he's doing his best with this stupid storyline and everybody loves Kristen ritter as jessica jones and uh you know she's she's almost like an audience surrogate in this show because she's just like everything's bullshit i hate this um 
and of course the guy who plays Luke Cage is like the most beautiful man on the planet he's just gorgeous <laughs> he takes off his shirt sometimes so that's good too um, and there's some good fight scenes in the Defenders but basically they they turn everything into this like confusing convoluted story that doesn't really pay off in a good way um, and I was just I don't know. I didn't hate the show. It was easy to watch because it's only eight episodes, which is the right thing to do. Because every single other Marvel Netflix show is basically two seasons in one, even though they're all only 13 episode seasons. They just never have a story that can sustain that long. Um, they like, like I said, they've continued the streak of the Netflix shows having better villains than the movies for some reason. Um, I don't know why it's so easy on a TV show to make a compelling villain, but so hard in a $500 million movie to do the same thing. I think it's because when it's that expensive, the, the villain has to have a plot that's like, I'm going to blow up the world, which is dumb. Where if it's smaller <laughs> scale, it probably is trying to do something a little more believable. So, um, But yeah, the whole Defender's journey kind of wasn't worth it, unfortunately. Um, but I still really like those two seasons of Daredevil, Jessica Jones, and Luke Cage is okay. What's what's the future of all these shows? Um, because Punisher was so popular on Daredevil season two, they're doing a Punisher show, which looks dumb because the Punisher is a dumb character. <laughs> but he kills people. <laughs> um, and on top of that, they're doing another season of Jessica Jones, and I think another season of Daredevil. So I think they're just going to keep going. I don't know when they're when they bring all this stuff back together again, if they do. Um, maybe it'll be better that time, though, if they give it a second chance. Just, um, why don't they let the Daredevil people do it instead of the Iron Fist people? Daredevil guy left to go do Pacific Rim 2. <laughs> Get him back. That's gonna bomb. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Uh, what other shows do we guys watch? Uh... I'm still in the middle of the season because it hasn't aired all of its episodes yet, but Difficult People I'm liking a lot. I guess just because I, there aren't enough shows that are trying to just be funny and nothing else. Like So many half-hour shows are like afraid to be funny. And even the ones that are like... Went on American Summer. Yeah. But it's like, I like this show because it's funny in a way that I don't feel like I've seen... <laughs> recently i mean it's it, the characters are super mean and it could like some of the jokes they spout off just sort of casually are sometimes like really dark and like it, yeah i don't know it, and it's uh it's just a very specific type of humor and it's also weird seeing finally we're getting shows that are kind of commenting on the election and current America that we're living in, which difficult people does a little bit. There's a storyline where Billy Eichner's character like has to buy like a bike pet sponsored electroshock therapy set or something because he's gay. And um, yeah, I just like it. it. Makes me larf. Every time you talk about it, you talk about it like it's so mean and so dark, but I've seen a couple episodes with you and it doesn't Maybe I've just seen the wrong episodes. But it no, seems... it's not that. Uh, I, I, maybe I'm overstating. Because at the heart of it, it is just about two friends just being friends, even if their friendship's built on talking shit about people. A lot of the side characters are really fun, too, in the uh, cafe that Billy works at. 
like even some of the storylines that are just sort of tossed off like one of the characters auditioning for to catch a predator <laughs> he wants to be like one of the kids that gets preyed on basically yeah, and he wants to skates yeah and he wants to use it like for his acting reel like and it's not a huge plot line but also there's another one where like one of the guys goes to like a rock and roll camp and he's just all about rock music and starting a band but it doesn't get more than like two minutes in the entire episode but it's just a super funny idea that like they know exactly how much time to give to it in an episode so it's, yeah, it's just got lots of little quirky stuff going on too in the background. Yeah, what I've also seen is a lot of great James Urbaniak work. Yeah, <laughs> seems like, like he's pretty awesome. On he's that trying to claim some sort of masculinity, but he just can't. He's so lame. He's Lo- her gay butler. Basically, that was a line there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> your gay butler let me in. Yeah, I'm glad uh, he's acting. Like, not just on Venture Brothers and Review, but mm-hmm. on stuff people actually watch. Yeah, it's always fun. Did people they... really watch the Review? That's what I'm saying. Nobody watched Review. <laughs> like, Colin and I watched Review together, and Colin didn't even watch the last season of Review. <laughs> I watched the first episode, but then the last two. <laughs> it's only a three-episode season. I just didn't know where to watch it. I guess I should. It's good. Is it on Comedy Central's app or I mean, on the internet or somewhere? It, it was on their website. They had this thing where it wasn't on their app, but it was on their website. I bet it's on Hulu by now, maybe. maybe. No, they take it off. Yeah, well, that's Viacom. Ugh, I don't know what to do then. Yeah, it's impossible to watch. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of not knowing what to do, how about that last season of Game of Thrones? It's like it's all over the place, but they're throwing so much money at it. It's really cool. <laughs> Yeah, it's like the spectacle is like greater than ever, like in terms of special effects and like dragon fights. Probably the best like moment of the season that wasn't too stupid was when the dragon attacks Jamie's army. That was pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, this like one of the last episodes of the season was the one that people were like, this is just too much. Where they had the terrible plan of going beyond the wall to kidnap a White Walker, and then it's like six guys against like a million, but. <laughs> They were, like, trapped in the middle of a lake, but then, like, they were, like, trying to get people to rescue them, but, like, the timeline did not add up, and that was, like, the one time I'm, like, okay, yeah, I don't, I'm not, I don't think time exists on this show yeah. anymore. Just to be clear what John was referencing, they, the continent that the show takes place on is said to be roughly the same size as South America, and basically they sent someone from, like, Madagascar to, like, the, the very north of the continent, overnight and they did that I'm riding a dragon sure I don't know how fast those go but have you ever ridden a dragon (laughs) but they also they sent a bird to communicate with that person the same night and I know how fast birds fly (laughs) (laughs) and there's things like oh well they're actually tracked on that frozen lake for a week but there's no visual indicator of that being true and there's like all this like you know sex mocking us stuff going on and you know, I I understand like they're just trying to do all this stuff. It's like the show's got to end. Like they're they're locked in. We gotta do. We gotta wrap up some mm-hmm. shit. And some of it's really cool. But then later, I'm like, that doesn't make that much sense. I think it does like hurt this season that there's no guideline in the book. I think last season worked out pretty well. But I think you can only go so far off book before it's like I don't know what this show is anymore. Before it becomes fan fiction. It is fan fiction now. It's pretty sweet, but I don't know if it's. 
like as good <laughs> probably not though I, I didn't like i don't know you guys saw that like that uh jab that adult swim did at game of thrones yeah that was really tasteless Rick and Morty. i don't know why they did like, that yeah the, the rest in peace game of thrones writing i heard dan Harmon like that was my idea i don't like that so like someone's got to go over and kick adult swim's yeah, ass some edgy intern at <laughs> adult swim <laughs> glow have you guys watched glow no first like five episodes taking your time yeah i don't know why it's not like must see TV. no but it's should see TV. <laughs> so the, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess like people have called it to orange is the new black, and that's all female cast, and that tonally it's similar. I feel like it's funnier. It is funnier. It's not quite as like serious. Because <laughs> it doesn't take place in a prison. <laughs> and and it's, it's good, but it's good for a lot of the reasons that show's good. Just like a good ensemble cast. Mm-hmm. I actually think Mark Maron's probably my favorite part of it. He's which really is, good. Yeah. Which is interesting because I don't recall liking him that much on his own show. Yeah. But him playing a character that's like, obviously, it seems like it's written for him. Like he feels very comfortable in it as a <laughs> sleazy director who's made like all these shitty B movies. And it comes in like, this is his career's on the line to deliver this this wrestling show. I kind of wish that they got into the actual show a little earlier in the season. It's pretty late that they actually end up doing the yeah, show. I haven't even gotten to that point. It's, it's pretty much near the end, yeah. but that's, it's like super entertaining. So I'm very curious to see how you like, where you go with the show. It's like them like filming an episode of it every week. And this was a mm-hmm. real thing. The gorgeous ladies of wrestling. It's a real thing that happened in the eighties, though. I think they don't follow any real people. I don't think it was actually, you know, developed by some sleazy director. <laughs> but yeah, it's just it's just fun. Alice and Bree's good. I like seeing them develop their characters, which are all like horrible stereotypes. <laughs> like you're Middle Eastern, your character's a terrorist, you know. Like the black lady's like the welfare the queen. The welfare queen. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty great character. And kind of one of the interesting things that the show is Alice and Bree can't find her character. She doesn't know who she's supposed to be. So it's like, you know, her self discovery. And, uh, you know, trying to find what foot fits her. And it's got uh, Rich Summer as a sleazy, or sleazy, or it's someone else's husband, but she has an affair with him. So a little, <laughs> little Mad Men reunion there. <laughs> Two characters, I'm not sure if they've interacted, but still. Yeah. Rich Summer only playing, like, people you hate. <laughs> That's what he's good at, despite the fact that he seems like such a nice seems guy. Seems like he means well, but he just keeps fucking up. <laughs> He just keeps fucking up. But it's also just like fun slice of like 80s pop culture. Like there's a rich guy who is helping fund the show and he has a robot butler in his house. <laughs> and that's hey, an interesting So yeah, glow. Take your time with it. No, there's no rush. I feel like if this show was on 10 years ago, like on network TV, it'd be more popular. But in this crowded landscape of, of so many good shows, even like on streaming, it's very easy to overlook. It's not like, you know, like I said, it's not must-see, but I think you'll enjoy it. Master of None. I feel like this came out like a billion years ago. Yeah, I think it just barely fits in our timeline. It's like maybe May. Maybe it was June or late May. It was totally May. Oh, no. But um, I liked Master of None a lot. I liked how the early episodes were kind of like inspired by Italian art films. I thought that was kind of a nice angle. There's that whole episode that's basically just, I think it's the first episode, it's just the bicycle thieves.
still very artsy. Um, Aziz Ansari is still kind of including like a lot of tributes to old films like he likes to do. There is a kind of fun arc too to this season. I mean, one of it, one of the arcs is him and his uh, the Italian woman he's in love with, but also he's doing like a show with Bobby Cannavale, like a cooking show, or he's trying to develop a new show. Oh, he's also on the was it Master of Cupcakes or whatever? Oh yeah, you guys, you guys see that? It's like I was I was gonna say it's called Quasi Cupcakes, but that's from Brooklyn Nine Nine. <laughs> Something cupcake. My favorite part of that part of the show was they had, uh, was it Cedric the Entertainer was on as like a magician? And this was like, they're giving him a chance after like so many years. He's going to do some trick where like he's going to pretend to like smash something like a cup or something, but there's like a spike in it and it backfires and he pierces through his hand and it's horrible. Is um, it his hand or is it someone, a member of the audience? It's his hand. hand. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and you find out Bobby Valley is a sleaze bag. Actually, one of my favorite episodes this season was that one that's just called New York, I Love You, where it's just about other people in New York going through their daily lives, and kind of the thing that all ties them together is everybody wants to see this new movie called Death Castle, starring Nicolas Cage. It has like a big twist at the end. <laughs> and you, know, you have these these uh, like African cab driver guys, and then like this woman that's mute, and then this uh, story about this doorman. And that felt a lot like Louie to me, but a little less sad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I also really like the Thanksgiving episode. Yeah. I like that too, yeah. Um, which follows his friend, whose name I can't Denise. think of. Denise. Mm-hmm. Um, over from like a Thanksgiving way in the past where they're like kids to in the future. I believe it ends on Thanksgiving <laughs> 2017. Um and showing her life uh, and her relationship with her uh, her mom and her aunt and her grandmother, uh, as well as uh, Dev, Aziz Ansari's character, uh, and how that evolves as she grows up and comes out and learns how to deal with our crazy modern world. I was afraid that would be really depressing, but I think it was at the right level of like <laughs> sad yeah. and funny. My only problem with the season is that I did not really care about this relationship that I didn't think was going to like really take, but they took a lot of time on that the past couple of, the last two episodes, the Italian woman, whatever. It's, it's a great show. I, I'm just worried that it's like, when is the next time we're going to see this show? Yeah, that's true. I, I, they did, a, I think, a really great job of addressing my criticism of the first season, which is that the first season felt like it was just a bunch of mini movies and not really a show. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, it had the overarching plots of him doing his cupcake competition show and working with Bobby Cannavale and uh, falling in love with this Italian woman uh, and still had plenty of time to do you know, the more vignette stuff like the two episodes we talked about. So it's just like a really, really strong season for that show. And like you said, it's probably going to be a while until it comes back. <laughs> Sucks. Just like it took a long time for Rick and Morty to come back. But I mean, that makes sense. It's animated. You got to draw it. It shit takes forever. A lot of people have been pretty critical of this season. I don't know why it's been awesome. I think the issue with people is the plot lines aren't as... I don't know, in like complicated. It's a little more basic in terms of the kind of adventures they go on. But the way I see it is this season has been more uh, focusing on the characters themselves mm-hmm. and their relationships because, um, what's his name? Chris Parnell. Jerry. Jerry. Like he's now separated from Beth. So that's kind of an interesting dynamic. There's that great episode where he takes them to that, that, that planet where you can't die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That was pretty good. But I mean, I think for me, Pickle Rick was is the breakout 
for, for, for me. I, I think it's just because like it's so it's such a dumb like jumping off point, but then it's interesting, like, oh man, how's he gonna like survive like this? You know? <laughs> the stakes keep they keep raising the stakes. And he just did it to get out of family therapy. <laughs> He's got like a whole body made of dead rat parts. Oh my god. Pretty gross, but pretty mild. This is like the most violent season ever, too. It's That's absolutely true, yeah. disgusting. It's pretty gross. And it's still going on, so who knows where it's going. Yeah, yeah. I almost forget about that episode they released on April Fool's Day. That one was pretty good, too. That was the Sej- That's what started the Szechuan sauce, Szechuan sauce yeah. obsession. Yeah. That was really good. What are you calling? You like Rick and Morty? Yeah, I do like Haven't Rick and Morty. Haven't you not seen like an entire season? Yeah, I haven't seen the first season. It's probably <laughs> the best. <laughs> You've been to catch up with it. We should just watch that. It's great. You'll have yeah. a good time. Also, I hope Mr. Poopy Butthole shows up again. <laughs> we got, uh, we got, what's his name? Noop Noop. Yeah. <laughs> Classic character. All right, now for the hardest part where we talk about summer movies. Because didn't you guys hear all the headlines this week? Summer movies are over. Americans hate them now. They made no money, even though a lot of them were good. <laughs> but people hate good things, I guess. Yeah. Weren't enough sequels. All the superhero movies came out in the spring. Yeah. Except for two of them, <laughs> which seems like a lot of superhero <laughs> movies. Wasn't enough. Um, I think the first one that we want to talk about was Baby Driver, which I really like. That's maybe my favorite movie of the summer. Hmm. Um, it's so I never know how to gauge how much you like a movie because literally the only thing you ever talk about when we come out of a movie is the things you didn't like about it. When we came out of Baby Driver, all you were talking about was how much you hated Jamie Foxx. <laughs> That's like, well, did this ruin the whole movie for him? I can't tell if Sean liked that movie or not because his, of his negative first take. <laughs> Just railing against Jamie Foxx. You guys like Jamie Foxx, right? In the movie? I thought he was fine. I thought the character was pretty one-dimensional, but like he brought a menace to it. I think it was pretty funny. He's insane. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everybody talks about how stylish this movie is, how they use music. I heard a lot of people saying they didn't think it had like a lot of heart, but I kind of disagree. I like, mm. I really like the relationship with Baby and his, um, I guess, what was that? His adoptive father. I thought mm-hmm. that was really sweet. I know that the, probably the relationship at the, the core of it with him and uh, Deborah probably wasn't super strong. My phone, sorry. But, uh... I don't know. I feel like it had enough going for it in other parts. I feel like people would be less critical of it. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Dude, your My phone phone's dropped. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like people would be less critical of it if it was um, not Edgar Wright. I feel like I've heard so many people comparing it to his other movies, but mm-hmm. I feel like if you if, if this was the only movie he'd ever made, people would have way less issues with this. I think people's expectations are a little high. Yeah, people love the John Wick movies. I don't get it. That doesn't even have a character in it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's so stylish. The, the driving scenes are so exciting. And there's a few on-foot chase scenes, too, that are really good, too. Oh, yeah, they do one to uh, Hocus, Hocus by Focus. Mm-hmm. That's a great sequence yeah. where he's running through the mall. That's so I think good. that's probably the part John and I were looking forward to the most. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good song. It's a really good song. 
It's one of the realest groups of all time. And they're just totally together <laughs> on that recording. It's awesome. <laughs> all right. <laughs> the realest groups of all time. <laughs> they're definitely together on that. <laughs> uh, another movie that's pretty real is uh, The Big Sick. Um, which I'm so happy to have a comedy on any of our movie lists at all. Because they're never good anymore. Um, The Big Sick is based on the real lives of uh, Kumail Nanjiani and Emily Gordon. Uh, When they first started dating, um, Emily fell into a coma for part of a week. I think maybe a full week even. Um, And this is their adaptation of that they, they changed some things about their real story to make it more cinematic and more funny um but it's a it almost felt like two movies to me it was almost like a meet cute movie and then a like hospital drama <laughs> but with like a lot of cathartic laughs in it especially with uh Ray Romano's and also know. kind of like a backstage look at stand-up comedy movie also yeah, kind of yeah. thrown in there yeah, just sneak that in there <laughs> once in a while I want to uh, see it so bad I feel like me and Kamal and Johnny have a lot of the same interests <laughs> yeah have you ever listened to his podcast yeah I listen to the X-Files files oh I mean the uh, the indoor kids no I haven't the one he did with Emily she was also on X-Files files okay <laughs> and that's I mean there's a whole other aspect of the movie that I forgot to talk about which is the like the pressure he was under to um, go into an arranged marriage. Um, a lot of stuff going on, keeping it real in the big sick. Um, but it's it's fun and heartfelt and uh, definitely worth your time. What say you about Columbus, Colin? Um, I really liked Columbus. It's... Uh... I don't know. It's just a movie about people walking and talking. It's a movie about architecture. And weirdly about architecture. I mean, I love any movie that I can watch that's sort of about a uh, subject that I never really thought about or never really had any interest in. And, but like as you're watching the film and you're watching the characters sort of pour over architecture and you start to be like, yeah, architecture's interesting. I like the way these buildings look. That's cool. I guess another movie I think about in that regard is like The Red Shoes, where I don't care about ballet, but you watch that movie and ballet seems like the most fucking important thing ever. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of the way this movie is, even though it's, it's kind of lower stakes because it's kind of just two characters figuring out their lives. And I feel like it's hard to make a movie where it's basically just a man and a woman talking and... Because you assume they're going to hook up at some point. And this movie kind of avoids that and also kind of doesn't avoid that in a way that's really subtle and cool. And it has a lot of touches like that where it doesn't just spell out everything for you. It's, it's kind of mysterious and kind of meditative. And it's, it's, it has a very specific kind of wavelength that you can kind of get on. That, or at least I was able to get on. I really liked it. Yeah, um, been rooting for John Cho to like get more parts. Yeah, it's kind of like dude. if there's gonna be an Asian American leading man, it's like it's gotta be him, right? <laughs> there aren't that many others. I remember there was like a petition at some point to just like get him more action movie roles. Yeah, um, he's he's good in this. I don't know if he's like 
amazing. No, because he's kind of guarded the entire time. Yeah. He's kind of afraid to open up about anything, really. Um, but I, I, I should have looked her name up. The the actress Haley Lou Richardson. Uh, she's really great. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's very Garden State in its plot. <laughs> but would Mike Pence like it? Because he's from no, that town. Mike Pence would hate it. <laughs> Do you think Mother lets him see any movies? <laughs> Probably like God's Not Dead three. That's a thing. Jesus, already on to a third one. What could? What, what, what do you think God's not? Out? Without looking at, what do you think it's about? So the first one is a teacher who's like God's dead, uh-huh. and then there's a trial. Where do you go from there? You go to the the, the White House. <laughs> I can't think of or, anything. Or an election. That's not just like really one offensive. Where the candidate says, you know, like says that God's dead or something. He probably would. I don't know. I'm gonna look into that, you guys. This is—I uh, really need to know how this trilogy comes to a close. All right. Well, you'll well you would do that, um, Colin. Dunkirk. We're going to Dunkirk. We gotta save, save, save the, save the troops. Are you ready? Let's do it. Okay. Let's take our yacht that we have. Yeah. We'll go save. Like it. like Mark Rylance. Yeah. Just like I got to do this fool. <laughs> Got to do it. Can't not do it. That's weird. He yeah, should have just left. That's like most of his lines in the whole movie. Yeah, it's like we're just got to do it. So Dunkirk is the new Christopher Nolan movie, so I assume it's got a 10 out of 10 on IMTB, and it's number three on the IMDb top 250. It's not, actually. What? Why? I mean, it's still odd there. It's just like <laughs> number 60 or something, which is pretty low. I'm, I remember in my review I wrote that it's lower than The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's lower than like all of his movies. Because of my theory that this is a movie more for like film critics than actual Christopher Nolan diehards. Because it doesn't indulge all his Christopher Nolan tendencies of like really over-explainy plot devices and dead wives and shit it's i mean i feel like that's your big complaint with it is it it doesn't really have characters and i'm okay with it i think it's just about experiencing this event in a very visceral kind of chaotic way um that it's just a hard thing to make sense of. I don't know how you make sense of being in the middle of having these faceless German planes firing upon you and like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and I think it's, it's just cool how Nolan orchestrates the whole thing in a way that slightly off kilter. Cause there's always these, plot lines going sort of at different times but they all meet up and intersect in different ways and it's one i'd really like to see again again because unlike all of christopher nolan's other movies it isn't three hours long but also because it is complex but also uh i don't know kind of approachable speaking of complicated movies mm-hmm. how about a ghost story is that a complicated movie? I think so. I think to the layperson, it would just seem like a boring movie. Yeah. But let's see if we can explain it in a way where it doesn't sound boring. <laughs> just... So a ghost story is about a Texas couple 
where they're getting ready to make a big life decision and then suddenly, randomly, uh, the guy in the couple dies and he wakes up and he's a ghost and he's you know the goofy kind of ghost or it's just a sheet with little eye holes cut in it and he sort of drifts around his universe and ends up back home and we follow his story um experiencing time as a ghost um while we simultaneously get to watch the sort of the morning process unfold uh, from the, the girl's point of view. I don't think either characters have names. Maybe they have letters. Yeah, I don't know. They certainly aren't mentioned in the film. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely one of those kind of movies where <laughs> nothing is stated super clearly. It, it's, yeah, there's not really a, a distinct plot line. It's just about this ghost experiencing, experiencing kind of the... I don't know, the banality of being a ghost is just like <laughs> <laughs> he's just hanging out watching lives go by and and you know we, because he has a sheet over his head we don't know how he's reacting to this but we as an audience of course are forced to project our feelings about mortality and growing older and watching the world change in ways that you don't understand <laughs> and it's uh yeah it's just a movie you can take a lot of different things away from it um it's definitely interesting seeing a movie like this uh at a film festival to a sold out crowd where it's so slow and there are so many really quiet moments but you know because it's a film festival crowd they're usually willing to go along with a more experimental film and they seem pretty locked into it where you so yeah. it's almost like you could hear a hidden drop in the theater and that was that was fun uh also worth noting that it's shot in full screen but with like rounded corners so it's like even less than full screen (laughs) um and the big scene in the movie is of uh rooney mara eating a whole pie and then throwing up in one take in one take (laughs) really long watch it in real time a whole pie be eaten Mm-hmm. Do you know she'd never eaten pie? I did know that because Beacon pie. she's a fake American. <laughs> Even though her family owns a football team, it's like, come on, you're European. Just admit it. It's real good. Um, good time is about anything but. Am I right? Pretty much. Pretty much nothing good goes out of this movie. It's just bad, bad stuff. But uh, that's also kind of thrilling to watch. A guy who's just got the dumbest plans <laughs> just get even dumber where uh, Robert Pattinson plays this guy who robs a bank with like his handicapped brother and well, mentally handicapped. And then... He's like trying to get him out of jail after he gets caught after the botched robbery because the money they rob has one of those like, it's not like paint, but it shoots like red Un- dust out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's just lots of situations like that where he's like, I think I got it. I think I'm on the right track. And then he just, something bad just 
fucks his shit up and he's got to figure out how to pivot and get out of a sticky situation. And, uh, yeah, it's just one of those movies, I guess kind of like Baby Driver, where you're just kind of on the edge of your seat the whole time, the whole just time. like, what the fuck is going to happen to this guy? And it's it's really thrilling. I mean, I feel like at the beginning of it, I was kind of weary that it had like a pulsing electronic soundtrack, because I feel like there's so many movies now that have it. But it's, it's like weird enough of a soundtrack that like it feels distinctive. Yeah, I think it earned that soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, I also liked, like, even though the movie was full of, well, not full of, but had a few recognizable actors, it didn't really commit to any character at all besides Robert Pattinson. Like, yeah. people you think who are going to be in the story the whole time are not. Um, and No, Jennifer Jason Lee's in this movie, but only, like, the beginning. Only she the never beginning. comes yeah. back. Yeah, and it seems like she's, like, and they're all interesting characters, too. Like, her characters, she's like... She, like, lives with her mom, and they're, like, her mom's, like, rich. But they don't, like, explicitly state any of that. But she's in some sort of relationship with Robert Pattinson's character. Where, like, it seems like he's probably just manipulating her. But it's, it's you know, it's open to interpretation. Um, it's also got that Barkhad Abdi guy. You yeah, know, like, the, the Captain Phillips. That Captain Now guy. Uh, but he just has the worst time yeah, in this movie. <laughs> I feel so bad for his character. Um it's it's cool it's stylish it's stylish in a way that i kind of disagreed with where it's like they shot everything in close-up except for important action scenes um which i guess does rivet up the intensity of the yeah. movie but ugh, so close but um mostly like robert pattinson man he's like really good in this maybe we have to like him now maybe it's been a while since the twilights we did have to eventually like Leo DiCaprio. Yeah. It's also been a while since we heard from John. What'd you think about Okia? It's pretty good. Before that, God's Not Dead update. <laughs> God's Thank Not God. Dead 3. This is straight from the CNS News Network, the right news right now. <laughs> God's Not Dead 3. They haven't uh, come up with the plot yet because they're waiting for God to tell them what it is. <laughs> <laughs> they're saying there's a lot of prayer trying to figure out exactly what God wants number three to be. But if you guys stick around for the end credits of God's Not Dead 2, there's a post credit sequence where Pastor Dave uh, has to hand over his sermons to the police. So maybe it's going to have something to do with the cops. Whoa. Uh, Could even the cops that God's Not Dead. So... Uh, Stay tuned. It's coming out Easter 2018. Mike nice. Pence has purchased his ticket. <laughs> oh, yeah. If that's how it's said. Yeah, that's how it's said. I've seen it now. They say it in the movie. Is the latest Bong Joon-ho movie for Netflix. And it's in the not-too-distant future where super pigs are being raised all across the world. They're supposed to be like the new, uh, I guess, cow. It's going to be like, you know, knockout world hunger. There's these big... Uh, hippo-like pig things, but they're so cute. But apparently they taste really good. Tilda Swinton's the bad guy, and we follow this South Korean girl and her grandpa as they've raised the best super pig, and now they're going to take it to like this super pig like uh, ceremony, like a, I don't know, some kind of event, 
and Jake Gyllenhaal is like the host of that because he like has this like wildlife show and he's so crazy. It's like the craziest I've seen Jake Gyllenhaal. He's got like a really stupid looking mustache and he's like screaming the whole time. He feels like a character from like an anime like movie that's like really over the top. But he's like a real person. <laughs> and this movie has like a lot of colorful characters. You got Stephen Yun from Walking Dead and uh, Tilda Swinton's actually in two parts, two roles. And it's it's funny, and it's the effects are pretty good, but it's also like really sad. This movie's super downer ending. It's gonna make you not want to eat meat, even though pig isn't a real thing. It's gonna make you not want to eat meat. You're gonna feel really bad about slaughterhouses and stuff. But it's really beautiful, and it's funny, and I feel like it fits in really well with Bong Joon Ho's filmography, which I don't think he's ever made a bad film. I think he might already be working on another film with Netflix. I know a lot of people don't like these Netflix movies because, you know, this stuff isn't going to be like on like DVD or Blu-ray anytime soon. It's just for Netflix. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys, what's your stance on Netflix movies? They wouldn't be made otherwise. Why are we complaining? I think, I think that's a good point. I think a lot of these movies are kind of smaller. They tend to be on the little that's true because some of them are already made and then they get picked up by Sometimes. Netflix at like a film festival. So they would have gotten distributed in theaters just, I guess... Not as many people would have seen them, probably, but I mean, they would have ended up on a streaming service eventually. I it does, don't know. It I does seem like, like a good market for like $15 million movies, a little yeah, less. But it is taking away from the theater industry. I mean, we got uh, Gerald's Game, Stephen King adaptation coming up at the end of September. Like, no way that ever would have been theaters. A movie that stars Carla Gugino and Bruce Greenwood, <laughs> the two biggest names in Hollywood. Like, about a movie about a woman strapped to a bed trying to escape. No, I think it's a good. I think it's a good market for, for smaller movies. I think it's the way of the future, and I like Tokyo. I think it's worth, it's worth checking out. I still need to check out Spider Man though. He's back. He came home. Is he better than ever? No. Well, I don't think so. Is he better than he's been in a while? He's better than he's been in a while. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, like a decade plus. Um, we all liked when Spider-Man was in Captain America Civil War, I think. I hated it. Oh. Well, <laughs> you that part? <laughs> no, it was good. But it did seem like they were totally veering off from the main plot lines. Like, okay, we're just going to hang out with Spider-Man. But, you know, that's just a thing that bugs me about those movies anyways, is that it's all about... I don't want to get into it. It's all about franchise maintenance, which I throw around a lot. It's like they're not telling a story; they're telling a brand life cycle. But I take those over stuff made for China. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're still made for China <laughs> as much though. Not like Age of Ultron, Terminator, like the whole thing where it's like let's add a Chinese scientist character. Just, just so we have a Chinese actor. I don't even movie. remember that. You don't remember that? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Okay. Uh, so, like, I like that scene in Civil War, but I was nervous that Spider-Man: Homecoming would be a like redundant origin story, um, you know, because we already saw that in Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man. You know, the joke was how many times do we have to watch Uncle Ben die. Uh, <laughs> but Spider-Man: Homecoming wasn't like any of that. It's a it's a straight up sequel to Captain America: Civil War. It follows spider-man's life uh after getting to join the avengers and like his story is about like not becoming a superhero but like becoming worthy of being an avenger again and um living up to tony stark uh but none of the other 
defenders because I guess only Tony Stark is a New York superhero in the movies. Um, but we don't. It's weird, like all the things you've already seen in Spider-Man movies that you kind of expect to see aren't in this. Like, there's not a scene of Spider-Man swinging between skyscrapers in this whole movie. Um, even though there's one in the trailer, it's not in the movie. <laughs> um, Uncle Ben's name is never said in this movie. Um, no, J. Jonah Jameson. J. Jonah Jameson is not in this movie because he's still in high school. He's not even a high school senior. Um, and neither is uh, is Mary Jane. She's not in this movie either. They don't even have Gwen Stacy. Um, what they do have is like one of the better villains of a Marvel movie uh, in in the Vulture, as played by Batman himself, the Bird Birdman Man himself, Beetlejuice, all the superheroes he's played, Mister Mom. Mom. <laughs> it's my hero. Um, I like I how you said Mr. Bob at the same time. <laughs> like, that was the next line of the conclusion. Multiplicity? I don't know. Are there other villains in this movie? Like yes, a minor capacity? there are. Because I remember, like, other people being in it, but I haven't seen it yet. So it's like, what's the deal with that? Are these, like, small appearances? No, um, the Shocker is a pretty recurring villain in this. He's played by oh. that guy from Fargo Season yeah. 2. Uh, which is pretty cool. Um... I want to say there's even a third reference to a villain. Oh, yeah. But that's like a spoiler. I can't talk about it. Um, I won't even remember it. But uh, the um, the recurring plot of um, stuff stuff from Avengers is also like really cool in this. Like uh, uh, The Vulture's whole plot is that they were like a salvage crew that was gathering alien weapons and shit from the New York battle in the first Avengers movie. Um, and I guess Colin hates that sort of stuff, but I eat that stuff right up that like, this is a New York where aliens invaded and there was a battle. And so like, that's the reality that these people, it's like, it's, it's still, there's still people that like have jobs and go to school, but they also live with the reality that there are superheroes and aliens blew up their city. I like that too. There's repercussions, which makes the world feel real. Yeah. And they're like, it's also like very like street level. They're like fucking Tony Stark in his tower. Fuck that guy. It's great. Um, so a very pleasant surprise that I can't wait for Sony to ruin by doing dumb sequels that nobody wants. Oh, they're gonna fuck it up somehow. <laughs> and the last thing we're talking about on this show is the shining beacon of hope the world needed most. Wonder Woman. DC made a good movie, you guys. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they did it. Well, I actually do. It's by playing up hope instead of by playing up darkness. And no, parents. like Lego Batman. Yeah, that was pretty good too, Lego Batman. Yeah. But not not a summer movie. No, it's like February. March, February ish. Yeah. So one of them was like another World War One movie I saw this summer, um, and I was super nervous about it because the last three DC movies were bad. <laughs> Um, it looks like they got another bad one on the way. It looks like they got another bad one coming. <laughs> Come together. And it's not like I had any reason to like believe Gal Gadot could like anchor a movie. Yeah. Um, but she did it. I'm, in, I'm interested in what your take on it was, Colin, because you ended up seeing this without me. Hmm? Wonder Woman? Yeah, I enjoyed it. You liked it? Yeah. Were you inspired? I was inspired. 
it definitely helped that I saw it with my sister who like afterwards she was like I was like choking back tears that first scene where they're all fighting on the beach because she's like I never seen anything like that in a movie before and I think I also kind of get why that one got her choked up too because she's always played on like sports teams and stuff <laughs> and you never see like women's sports teams in movies either and it's like the Amazons are basically like a sports pretty team. much just <laughs> kick it ass so yeah that was that was interesting <laughs> um and yeah i think the whole cast was really good i love chris pine and like the damsel in distress role basically yeah. <laughs> that was fun because i always like him and yeah i think just the one problem i had with it was its stupid like video game ending yeah, where she's like fight. fighting the boss who's <laughs> just like getting more and more powerful <laughs> and it's just all cg even though the rest of the movie isn't like that cg heavy yeah. but otherwise yeah i enjoyed it and you know i feel like they had to do it like that because so it like, ties in yeah the way that people like universe. fight like they're in an anime or a video game in the other movies yeah it'd be weird if they didn't in that one um but yeah wonder woman is pretty great like i think it's out on blue right now i'm probably gonna go buy wonder woman which is crazy because i hated every other dc <laughs> movie like made me cry i hated it so much you cried the other way <laughs> tears of sadness um but that's been our summer. That's what we've been up to. Sorry we didn't like write about almost any of this. And, no. um, well, at least we did that marathon, so our post count for the year isn't totally dismal. Yep. Um, like John hinted, we've got a Criterion Shocktober coming up in, in October. Does anyone have anything planned for the month of September on the blog? I was actually writing reviews of Columbus and... A good time before we started doing okay, this. So Hopefully, might... I haven't blown all my thoughts yeah. on this podcast. Get ready for my warm take of it. Ooh. Ooh, I got yeah. some music reviews I could probably do because I didn't talk about everything. Yeah, the nationals out now. Yeah. So the stuff—it's all happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, and at least we're fortunate enough to only have to deal with wildfires, no earthquakes or hurricanes up here. So. Mm-hmm. I don't see any... Not even uh, close wildfires, just the smoke from wildfires. It's so weird to see ash raining from the sky. It's true. Um, fun times, fun times. Yeah, well, and I guess we're in the nuclear zone of North Korea. <laughs> it's it's also true. Um, but on that cheery thought, we're happy to be back, and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>